What's going on, boys and girls? We have a terrific episode of Two White Lights for you today. I had on the show a man who really needs no introduction. He is one of the best lifters in the world right now. I had on the show Mr. Ashton Rouska. He is a 105 and 93 kg lifter in the USAPL. And like I said, the dude is a beast. He is considered to be one of the pound-for-pound best lifters in the IPF. And we talked about a lot of different things. Ashton is a really intelligent, sophisticated guy, so he gives insight on so many different things. We talked about the recidification of his IPF world records. He said at Arnold. We also talk about if he is, in fact, the IPF best lifter right now, pound-for-pound. Good lift points do provide evidence that he is... We also discuss what is the most competitive weight class in his division. Spoiler alert, he believes it's the 105s, and you can hear why. Also, discuss his mindset going to training and how that differs from competition days. Really, really great interview with Ashton, and I was expecting nothing less. But before we get into that, I want to talk to you guys about Leflar Bros. Ladies and gentlemen, visit leflarbros.com and get yourself some apparel. You guys know I love my baseball tees and my beanies, but, you know, it's summer. Maybe get yourself a tank top. It's getting warm. I'm actually outside right now because it's such a beautiful goddamn evening that I need to be outside, and in order not to get a farmer's hand, I'm probably going to pop on a tank top really quick. So get yourself some apparel. Get yourself a gym banner as well. Uh, They sent me a Two White Lights gym banner, and be on the lookout for a potential giveaway with a Two White Lights gym banner. And they created that for me, and I'm very grateful for that. And all their other gym banners are awesome, too. You can get those products that I just mentioned for a discounted price. If you use promo code 2WL10, you will get 10% off of your order. Remember, if you look good, you will lift good. It's fact. It's science. Diaz Sanders said it, so I'm going to say it too. Also, visit Rivalist.net. Get yourself some brand-chain amino acids, some protein, some creatine, pre-workout. You name it. Rivalist has got it. Use promo code Angela20 and you will get 10, 20% off of your order. I'm so used to saying 10% off. I almost said it again, but it's 20% off. Save yourself some more money. Also, I got myself a Stoic discount as well. You guys know that I only use Stoic when I train and when I compete. That is the preferred equipment of two white lights and you can get 10% off your order if you use promo code angelo10 i keep things simple for you guys 2wl10 angelo20 and angelo10 don't try to put an angelo20 for the stoic one because you won't get 20% off put an angelo10 and you will get 10% off all stoic equipment and like i said i love using their equipment there's a reason why i teamed up with them is because i really like their product so get yourself in some stoic gear and without further ado, here is Two White Lights. Ooh, baby, I like it raw. Yeah, baby, I like it raw. Ooh, baby, I like it raw. Baby, I like it raw. Shimmy, shimmy, y'all, shimmy, yeah, shimmy, yeah. Give me the mic so I can take it away. Both on the natural charge bomb for yards. It is Monday, May 25th, and I got with me a man who wanted to do the damn thing, wanted to do the damn interview, and he is here doing the damn interview. I got with me 93kg, 105kg, USAPL lifter, Mr. Ashton Rouska. How are you, man? Hey, good to be here. I'm doing great. 
And you know what? And even in the introduction, I didn't even list off all of your accolades because there is a ton of fucking accolades I can go from. Uh, recently just took first in the USAPL Grand Prix at the Arnold and just got named top lifter according to good lift points in the IPF. Now, I'm going to ask you this question first. Do you believe that you should be considered the best lifter in the USAPL slash IPF? As it stands right now, I think it's very close uh, between a couple of people, but I would say that I'm probably, based off of my performance at PowerFest um, back in July, that I would probably be in the top top three, top five range, I would say would be pretty accurate. Number one, I think really sort of varies depending on what formula we decide to use that year. Yeah, for sure. Now, let me ask you something about this. IPF points, good lift points, there's... I mean, there was Wilkes, you know, that was the, the the OG formula that we all loved. Does that come into factor when deciding who is the best lifter? Like, what's your opinion on all the different formulas? So, at first, I like to think about the purpose of the formulas um, and what each one sort of essentially tries to do or tries to get at. And how, over time, it's sort of interesting to watch how the formulas change. So who is the best, you know, lifter pound for pound overall for me? I think that the formulas can be a decent indication of that, but I think that since they change so much and they try to account for mistakes of past formulas, and then sometimes new mistakes will arise. Um, it's, it's very difficult for me to look at any one, one formula and one score and use that as the basis of determining who's the best lifter objectively. Mm -hmm. Um, now if you have, you know, a lot of formulas and you look across that spectrum of formulas and you see someone who's consistently ranked, you know, number one to number three, or, you know, something like that, then I think you would have a more compelling or convincing case that that lifter may be, you know, the best or one of the best. So I think the formulas have their, you know, usefulness. I think one score on its own from one formula, you might be, um, extrapolating a bit heavily from it. But if you look across all the formulas and you see consistency with some lifters, I think that that's a pretty good indication that they might be, you know, top dogs, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's and I always use that argument when it comes to Total and Wilkes because people like to make that argument. Well, the argument kind of favors both of them. It's like if you have a really good Total, you're going to have a really good Wilkes. I don't care if you're, care if you're Ray Williams or Taylor Atwood. Same goes for IPF points. They have a really good total. The formula to calculate the best pound-for-pound pound lifter is going to correlate with that. But in your case, it's you kind of get best of both worlds. You get huge, massive number lifts. Like, if you see an 800-pound deadlift, you're like, holy shit, that's an 800-pound deadlift. You're always going to turn your head. And also, you got that pound-for-pound pound thing going for you, too. So that's why the case for best pound for pound lifter and IPF and USAPL, I think it's starting to swing more and more into your advantage. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I think that I'm at, in terms of body weight, I think that I'm in a very good place to set myself up to be a really good pound for pound lifter overall. You know, I'm not too heavy to where, you know, people will just, you know, point and say, and I don't agree with this necessarily, but people will just point and say, oh, well, he's really big or he's really heavy, so he should be strong. Or, you know, on the other end of it, you know, wow, that guy's really light. He's strong, you know, despite like, you know, his like smaller stature. Like, I think I'm in a pretty good 
sort of average range where if I'm really strong and at this body weight, they're just like, wow, that guy's strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's always those numbers and we've, uh, we've kind of discussed it before. Like there's numbers that make you turn your head, like a 600 pound bench. If you're 300 pounds is a 600 pound bench. It's like, holy shit. You know, I squat that. I don't care who you are. That's impressive to me. But then, you know, the thing of, oh, he's 130 pounds benching 300 pounds. I'm like, well, you know, a 300 pound bench isn't going to necessarily turn our head because, Typically, if you're in a 174 to 83 weight class, you can do that. Um, my wish is for their formula them to make that makes me a top five lifter. Just a random formula that's going to make it. Oh, Angelo's in the top five now. I'm like, that's oh, <laughs> fucking awesome, man. That's that's great. <laughs> yeah, if you could, if they could like take the formula and go buy separate lifts, like if they just went by deadlift, it'd probably actually be uh, pretty pretty high. <laughs> I think they do, and they do that for the Arnold for like the pro deadlifts. Like, what's your Wilkes or your IPF points based on just your deadlift, and then that's how like they base those invites. But yeah, I'm just I'm just fingers crossed. One day they make a formula that just makes me the best lifter in the world, and then I'm gonna screenshot it, post on Instagram, and then retire from powerlifting. Tell everyone that you're the best. <laughs> yeah. like, oh my god, I'm the best, guys! Check it out. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna manipulate. The, I'm gonna manipulate the hell out of the filters on an open IPF. But speaking of IPF. We bought up at the beginning of the show, took first place at the Grand Prix, amazing performance, set two world records, or at the time were two world rec- records, and then since the IPF has rescinded these the world records set at the Arnold based on a wide set of rules, I might post the exact email, what they phrased, into my uh, Two White Light story of exactly the rationale behind it, but the only person... I, th- I believe you would be the only person really affected by this, right? Because I don't think there was too many world records being broken at the uh, Arnold. There were actually a few others. Okay. Um, off the top of my head, I know for sure Blaine Sumner broke world records. Mm-hmm. Um, Dave Ricks broke Masters world records. Natalie Hansen, the quicklifter, broke world records, I believe. And Jake Amendola broke the bench press world record. Yeah. And I technically broke the uh, the two open records, and I think three junior world records yeah you i think, mean if anyone cares but yeah well fine. we all definitely care those are fucking crazy like, yeah, it was in, uh it was on squat and total and usually when you set a total world record that's something that is cherished but as i've said they rescinded that they uh decided that the world records will not count so i gotta ask you do you agree with the ipf's decisions regarding taking away those world records and if so why and further upon that, how much do you really care? Okay. Oh, that's that's the question of the hour, right? Or at least it was, you know, the day that I found out. Um, and, you know, I, I two sides of me, you know, like one side of me understood why the IPF, like, took their decision. I mean, it seemed like there was some sort of um, – I think primarily there seemed to be some sort of procedural error with um, – in stating the Arnold as a meet where you could actually set IPF world records. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that error, you know, that procedural error, I'm not, you know, um, pointing the finger at anyone, but I think that there was somewhere along, along the way, you know, some error that occurred and some confusion. And that sort of barred a lot of the records from being um, instated from that meet. Now, with that being said, on the other end of the, of the, the same, you know, spectrum, um, you can easily say that there were, you know, IPF, you know, 
judges there. Um, we were lifting and being held to IPF standards. Um, I've competed in an IPF meet before, so I know what that's like. Um, and, you know, I believe that everyone who lifted and from all the lifts that I saw that were considered world records, they all seemed, you know, appropriate and within the limits and confines of the rules. And, you know, to me personally should have counted. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's to me personally. Um, but overarchingly and overall, I think that, you know, the procedural issue and then the issue with, um, you know, Gino announcing, I don't really, I don't know the whole deal behind that. So I won't comment on that, but I've always, you know, loved Gino. He's always been a great announcer. Mm-hmm. Um, great guy in person. I've always enjoyed seeing him and, uh, conversing when we had the chance. And, um, you know, I was happy he was there and announcing and hyping things up. So I don't really know what the, the issue is there, but apparently there was something. Um, and that, I mean, personally for me, that just kind of like disappointed me. I, I don't see what, what the issue is, but, you know, who knows? Um, so I guess, you know, long story short, yes, I think that the records were legitimate. And um, I think they should have counted. But at the same point in time, I realized and recognized why they did it. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I guess there's really no, I, I guess I don't really have any animosity towards either side, towards the USAPLI or IPF. It seemed like there was a lot of miscommunication mm-hmm. and, and error in, um, in stating the meet as a true world record setting meet. Yeah, and I think it's appropriate to ask a person who actually broke a world record because what happens when this stuff occurs is fans get in a frenzy or people in the sport get in a frenzy, and I'm, I'm included in that too. I still will have an opinion on something if I feel like they didn't follow the rules correctly. Now, what I've seen based on what their rationale is, why they didn't count world records, it is rather inconsistent with the rules that were put in place in years before because there has been several world records being broken at the Arnold when it was an NAPF meet. And I would safely assume that all precautions and all measures were followed in those meets very similar to the, what they were at this year's Arnold as well. And it was a strange thing where you know you look at the email or you look at what the rationale was you're like okay that kind of makes sense but then if you go into history which you know powerlifting doesn't have an extensive history it you were only looking at 10 years of raw lifting really to pick and choose from so it's really easy to find the inconsistencies with things and that's what a lot of people have found um and then i brought up with evan glasgow in our last podcast uh with you know gino being a source of the reason why the records don't count. And there has been some history with IPF and Gino. Um, the, apparently Gino is on the favor of the IPF, especially with the higher ups. And I, I have no idea what the reason is behind that, but I, I've said it in a past podcast. IPF needs to stop caring about things that don't matter. Things that don't affect lifting. If Gino is on the platform saying, 666, the number of the beast, what a pull for Angelo Fortino. That is not going to help my deadlift. That is not going to give me an unfair competitive advantage. Only focus on things that are going to give an unfair competitive advantage to lifters. That's why the rules are in place. If the rules are a MC should not be on the platform, change the rule. 
Who cares? It's not a big deal. You can easily admit that. It doesn't take a whole lot of convincing and lobbying to change that rule. But I think that's where the frustration is coming in from us other lifters. It's, you know, the IPF disregarding records set by American lifters at a meet that was held at a very high standard. Uh, I witnessed a thing. I competed at the, the previous meets as well. Definitely a high standard, but... Yeah, I think that's where the backlash is coming in. I would agree with some of that. Um, I, because, you know, it's like, it's kind of like you said, there's really no, he's not pushing anyone to perform better or worse, per se. He's simply another spectator, mm-hmm. albeit one with a microphone, yeah. you know, and, and like entertaining the crowd, like which I think is probably better for the sport than worse. Um and yeah, I mean, to me, like when I was, of course, like reading the letter, like that part to me seemed a bit outlandish and, you know, I'll just go ahead and say it outright ridiculous, mm-hmm. but, um, it was in their official letter and draft. So, uh, kind of surprised, but that was a thing. Um, but, but I guess in terms of the, the whole procedural part and, and past, um, meets with the Arnold because I know what you're talking about. I've watched past Arnold meets, you know, the last like four or five years I've been watching them. And I've seen plenty of USAPL lifters break world records mm-hmm. at those meets. Yeah. And there were no hiccups. There seemed to be no issues. And it just was what it was. And then this year when they announced that they were bringing it back, you know, from the start, I had a feeling, honestly, and if I'm being honest with you, I had a gut feeling that something was off or something was going to happen. Um, but you know, they were advertising it. I got there. It seemed legit. The mm-hmm. IPF judges were there. I was like, okay, this, this looks okay. Um, it looked okay. But yeah. then, you know, the, after the facts, you know, when they sort of sent that letter, I was like, I guess things weren't okay. And my original intuition about this was, you know, correct. But yeah, I, I do think that some rules should be, you know, sort of shifted or changed quite frankly, like things with like an announcer, like, Oh, well there was this announcer at that meet. So mm-hmm. the record like that, that, you know, 730, you know, 731 pounds that you squatted. Yeah. That doesn't count. Um, I just, I don't see, I, I don't see the, the correlation between those two, between Gino announcing and me squatting 731. But that's, that's me. Yeah. Again, like I worry like the unprofessionalism between the IPF and USAPL, is reaching a pitch where it's based on past grudges. And that's just, I hope it never really comes to a grudge. You know, it's just like such an unprofessional thing to really uh, take records away from lifters. And that's another big criticism of sometimes USAPL and the IPF, it's they make decisions without the lifter in mind. And this is another case of that. It's like, you're going to take away world records away from these lifters because of some just... I'm going to say non-important rules or non-competitive advantage rules. Uh, same thing with, uh, they made a rule on, like, you can't take your shirt off while deadlifting. Like, deep, what? Like, all right. I mean, doesn't hurt or help, but wh- okay. Like, why are you guys even concerned? Why are you thinking about this stuff? Like, can we think about something else maybe? Put, put that brain power to something more useful. I have to ask because, you know, what you did is still incredible. If it was a world, if it wasn't a world record, you're still, you know, head and shoulders with that that total, you know, into that American record range. How much did it mean to you when they took those records away? Okay, good question too. Um, 
Yeah, I know you had asked it initially, but there was there was a lot of unpackaging we had to do about this whole situation. Oh, yeah, for sure. um, so, you know, I, I woke up, you know, one morning and I read the letter and found out the news that none of my world records that I set at the Arnold counted. And, you know, at first there was sort of, there was an initial sense of, you know, shock, or not shock, excuse me, there was not an initial sense of shock. Because like I mentioned before, I sort of had this intuitive feeling that something was off. But there was, I was pretty disappointed just because, you know, I had gone through a lot that prep, um, a lot in my personal life and, you know, with an injury and many, many other things, just like I'm sure other lifters had going into the Arnold that perhaps broke records or were coming back from injuries or other things, you know. And it's kind of like, you know, all of that sort of hard work that led into that. And everything that had happened, especially towards the end of the prep where things just really went downhill for me, you know, not by virtue of bad training or anything, but just really more than anything, probably bad, bad luck. You know, despite that, I was still able to go out. I performed in a weight class lower than I wanted to, but, you know, it made breaking, you know, the records, you know, more feasible and made winning the Grand Prix more feasible. So I went for it because, you know, why not at that point? I wasn't going to try to or gain five or six excess pounds so like to really understand how i felt about it i guess i'm just trying to give a little bit of background about like going into the meet like mm-hmm. i had a lot going on you know quite frankly and so when i like stepped on that platform and was breaking those records you know that was a real you know that was a real moment of you know pride for me and then that was just like sort of like smashed under my feet for me mm-hmm. and and it had absolutely nothing to do with me or what I've done, but it had to do with outside variables and factors that didn't influence the weight I lifted, as you mentioned earlier, that ultimately influenced the outcome of whether they would count as records or not. So I was disappointed and I did care, but at the same time, you know, I had that pit feeling and I kind of sensed that something was coming mm-hmm. and, you know, I wasn't terribly shocked or anything and I wasn't terribly distraught either. I mean, it is what it is, but I was like, you know, that, that day I was like pretty disappointed about it. Yeah. And it's an understandable feeling because whenever that happens now, I guess if you're going to be an optimist about this, uh, at least the entire meet didn't get struck out of the record books like other meets have, um, not, not in the USAPL and IPF, which is, that's, you know, a, a point for USAPL and IPF. We do not have too many meets that are completely thrown out of the uh, powerlifting record books. So that's always a plus. But you're still always going to care because you put in that prep. And if you're attempting a world record, it is still an incredible feat that obviously not a lot of people have accomplished. That's why it's world record. You are the best of the best. You have been the only person to accomplish that. But I will, because you you said the really interesting thing about how you had this suspicion that maybe you know, something isn't exactly right with, you know, setting world records at the Arnold, because I believe last year you weren't able to set world records at the Arnold either. It was within the rule. Correct. So when I signed up for the Arnold, I wanted to do the pro-American because I wanted to do the pro-American. That's it. I just wanted to do it. I didn't sign up on time. I think I was 45 seconds late on signing up. Not a big deal. Did the SBD, uh, the SB, well, not the SBD, the A7, like raw pro, so I don't know. The A7, yeah. fucking uh, the too many name meets at the Arnold. But <laughs> to keep track of. The A7 one. Um, 
I did that one. You know, it's like, all right, less competition uh, or not the more illustrious competition day. But then my coach, Joe, messaged me. He's like, dude, you're going to get pissed. You could set world records at the Pro-American, not the A7 one. I'm like, and I, for me, like when he told me that, I'm like, why are they deciding this late? Because that wasn't, I didn't sign up initially, and that was the rule. Like, when I signed up, I didn't know about any of that, and no one did. It was announced well after the fact. Um, but for me, I was like, all right, well, here's the thing. I only have one chance to break a world record, and one lift, it's a deadlift. It's really my only thing I have a chance to break a record with. But I know full well that the USAPL record is more prestigious than the IPF one. The IPF one is 10 to 15 kilos lower than the American record. So I'm like, oh, and I messaged him like, you know what? I honestly really don't care because if I break the American record, then like, if I break the American record, I'm going to be more proud of that than the world record because the American record is better. Yeah. Breaking like an open American, like USAPL record, it's pretty much like breaking the world record. Yeah. And and that was kind of the point. And then when we found that out, I'm like, oh shit, I guess it wasn't a bad thing because we might've actually gotten a lower deadlift that day, but occasionally that happens and then that kind of always brings a suspicion in my mind like well considering if americans were always allowed to break world records i don't think the rest of the international powerlifting community would have a lot of records so maybe that was kind of the thing like if we have all these world records being broken at these meets then you know america is just going to dominate the record books yeah, there's so you notice that with a lot of IPF meets, right? There's like sort of the issue. I think this is just my you know personal opinion disclaimer. I think there is like an issue with accessibility mm-hmm. to a, breaking IPF world records at IPF meets. I mean, for instance, this year, you know, I was invited to Worlds. I really wanted to go genuinely to Worlds, Raw Worlds, for a while now, mm-hmm. and I've had I've been invited, you know, several times, but they hosted in countries like Belarus. And it would take, an, without going into detail, it would take like an arm and a leg for me to be able to go to Belarus, COVID-19 or not. Yeah. So, you know, I'm like, I'm looking at the records and IPF, I'm like, yeah, I could break almost all of these, if not all of them, but uh, I'm not going to be able to travel to Belarus. <laughs> like it's, I mean, that area is like in turmoil. I mean, there's a lot going on, so it yeah. just, it would not happen. Um, you know, next year it's in South Africa. I'm okay. hoping for the best, but you know, with COVID-19 and everything else, we have to see how sort of the world like develops. But I think a big issue that blocks a lot of American lifters from being able to go and break these records is probably, probably similarly to me issues with accessibility to these meets. Mm-hmm. And that also affects, I think, you know, the upcoming bigger meets that are coming up, like the SBD, um, the, the big ones. The Sheffield, Sheffield meet. Yeah. The Sheffield. Correct. Yeah. And you know, um, I'm like, I'm like looking at like the roster. I'm like, yeah, some of these guys are heavy hitters, but you know, some like, I, I feel like there's a lot of guys that could be in this roster that would make this meet electric that are just not in it that mm-hmm. are missing. And it's because like solely because they didn't compete in IPF worlds. And I'm like, you know, like, um, I, I think there's, I, I think there's, there should be ways hopefully in the future to rework in some other criteria for bigger meets like that yeah. for IPF world records. Um, because, American lifters getting one shot to break IPF records at one meet a year, like in Belarus, like it just, it seems like you're, you're kind of blocking out a lot of the talent. And I think that's bad for the Federation because you shouldn't try to block out 
any talent from anywhere mm-hmm. if you know if they can compete and you know they pass their drug tests and they lift you know a shitload of weight then by all means you know keep pushing the limit keep keep having the records being set and break don't leave you know like arbitrary world standards you know if no one's broken a record there yet i mean there's people out there that have lifted tremendous weights and all pretty much all weight classes yeah so um I don't know. Working something, you know, with accessibility, I think would be appropriate. Like, obviously, you know, we don't have to like break world records at USAPL nationals, but, you know, having sort of, I think other opportunities or more accessibility and location and meets, you know, for all lifters, you know, to be, to have a more sort of representative, um, there's more representation of each nation essentially. And like the IPF is trying to kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that uh, I think eventually, because it's the first year they're doing Sheffield, I think the criteria is going to change where it's going to be available to more lifters. I think, I think so too. I mean, that's a complete assumption on my part. I am not, you know, I have no inside information about the you know SBD Sheffield Invitational, but I'm just assuming like, okay, you could do a twenty person meet for male and female, and it'll be awesome. Like, it'll be really good to see and to make it an international thing. I'm like, you can do that. I think with the first year, though, you kind of got to test the waters, see exactly how to run a meet. So I'm, I'm – and I'm hoping that happens too because, like you said, there are names left off the list where I'm like, I would like to see that person compete. I don't understand why. And really, if you're in America, very difficult to qualify for that – I mean, to get invited for that because you got to go through some real heavy hitters, a much harder path than – European championships like that's because yep. I mean if you look at it you're like oh you're talking about the three best lifters in USAPL history and not including you so we're excluding another heavy hitter and was like Atwood Ray Russ and uh and Charles like the best like these are some of the best lifters we've ever seen like in the USAPL so I, I think maybe they'll expand the rosters if I was a business person I, that's, that's what I would do expand it to make it more interesting but yeah yeah, on on top of that, um, it was funny because I did my first USAPL Nationals meet uh, last year, and I, when I was on the platform, I attempted seven twenty two. You know, it was a good PR. It was hopefully going to be a good PR for me. I missed it. Whatever. Uh, King of the Lift said it's like that would have been an unofficial world record, and then I found that out a day later when they posted me on their page. I'm like, really? That would have been an unofficial world record. So I'm like, because I thought you, you had the world record. I thought he set the IPF record. I'm like, no, he didn't set it at an IPF meet. He set it at, I'm like, oh, okay. Like, well, I just, I'm like, like so, sometimes the world records aren't even known. And that's kind of the thing where it, it muddies the water a little bit. Because, yeah, they don't have as many opportunities to break them. And Europeans and other people do. Because, I mean, European championships, that would kind of, constitute as our nationals but you can set the ipf world records there and not in and those and those, yeah, and those european championships are also technically like international events because yeah. you know they're different, they're different countries yeah i think a lot of times that usapl because of that fact does hold a little bit more prestige than the ipf yeah and yeah and you know all this is to say uh you know two points you know sort of to to clarify like you know, with my previous discourse. The first thing is, you know, I do think that while the United States does have a lot of some of the best talent, like in the world, hands down, you know, in like powerlifting and strength sport, I do think that, you know, at the same point in time, you know, they're, they're, 
there is like a lot of talent all over the world mm-hmm. and there and the european lifters um especially lately have really been um they've been producing some heavy hitters lately yeah. they've been especially in like in my weight class the 105s um and my second point is you know selection criteria regardless of all of that i think the sbd you know as as sort of a corporation hosting the sheffield well before COVID-19, of course, you know, was such a great thing for our sport Mm -hmm. and such a big sort of, I think it was going to be a big pivotal sort of point. And if it went well, you know, and like the meat continued and subsisted through years, I think that it would really help, you know, the growth of powerlifting in general, because I also believe that there is a lot of untapped potential and talent out there that just hasn't shown its face yet. Mm-hmm. And when it does, I think the records are just going to keep getting crazier and keep getting broken. Yeah, absolutely. And that was my, uh, for the whole COVID-19 thing, that was my biggest letdown was I was really looking forward to seeing Sheffield, the invitational because of there was like, I mean, so many storylines that could be drawn from it and so many great lifts that would have happened and be like, you also want to see the spectacle of it all. Like, how would they do it? Would it be like IPF Worlds or would it be like Nationals? And like we know, Nationals is a different feel from IPF Worlds. Like, you know, may- maybe they actually do fly out, you know, for that meet and to fire up the crowd. Maybe you have that uh, production value in the meet too. So I was I was looking forward to that. Hopefully with the extra time, because the next one will be in 2021, uh a, make it twice as big. Yeah, make it twice. Yeah, make, like literally, make it twice as big. Let's get uh, a double the lifters in there. But, <laughs> and all right, beginning of the show mentioned two weight classes you compete in ninety three and one hundred five, and you've gone. Uh, you, you and I have had kind of exchanges on this. Well, on our opinions of this, there's a huge debate between people in the USAPL what the most competitive weight class is. You might be the most qualified to talk about that because you're one of the few who does two. So in your opinion, what is the most competitive weight class in the USAPL? Good question. And I think um, to clarify from the outset of like of what I'm going to say, um, I think there is a difference between a weight class with the most competitiveness mm-hmm. and a weight class with the most uh, just like raw or natural like talent, i.e. highest, you know, points across all or different types of um formulas as we discussed earlier so if we're talking competitiveness hands down i would have to say 105 weight class mm-hmm. um the whole reason why i moved up to the 105 weight class was specifically because it was much more competitive than the, the, the 93 weight class and that's not to say that the 93 weight class isn't competitive that class is i think now it's back it was, i think it was on the downward trend for a little while but now i think it's back on the upwards trend and a lot of guys are getting really strong in that weight class and mm-hmm. i think we're going to see a couple more 1900 totals pretty soon out of them um but with that said though i mean the the depth of competitiveness like the number of people who are going to be fighting for that first place spot it's not the same um in the 105s it, it could it's really a toss-up like it could be any like anybody who has like a great meet it could really be anybody mm-hmm. and, and when i said let me qualify anybody not literally anybody obviously but like the top like i i would say like five to eight lifters like you know probably ranked in the world in 105 any of them who have like an excellent like meet or the stars align like could probably win mm-hmm. um and and that's why i enjoy competing in that weight class now in terms of i think like just strictly if we're just strictly talking about raw pure strength 
Um, in that weight class, I think I'm the strongest. But at the same point in time, when we talk about competitiveness and a meat environment and, you know, just everything going on, um, I think that it really takes, you know, having a really good sort of perfect day in execution to, to win that beast. Because a lot of those guys, you know, they come ready. And it's, it's always fun, or at least when I competed in it, it was, it was very fun. Mm-hmm. So um, competitiveness-wise, I think that 105s take, take the cake there over um, 74 and 93 and any other weight class. And we're talking about males. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, uh, yeah, I, I always say that, you know, the most competitive weight class is always going to be the weight class you belong to because you're going to have a bias towards it. You're always going to think that the competition is strongest in yours. But – as a person like myself, who's extremely opinionated, I, anal- I I provide analysis on like you know everything that I see. So when I was at nationals, I just naturally assumed okay, the seventy four is going to be the most competitive. Um, Eighty three is not so much. Uh, the ninety threes and one hundred fives, I wasn't as familiar because I'm not in. I'm never probably never going to be a ninety three or a one hundred five in my life. That's just that's that's probably just way out of my realm. But Watching the 105s, I was like, holy shit, this is actually one of the most, in the male division, the most legitimate toss-ups that we have. Because I was watching, like, okay, we got Ash. I'm like, oh shit, yeah, I forgot about Bryce. And then, wasn't even aware of Mikey D. And I just see his numbers go up. I'm like, oh my lord. I'm like, this, uh, and then, that, and that is what, that's what competition is. So, we know what you're capable of. And we obviously know what the other guys are capable of. But, you have to execute on meat day. Mm-hmm. Now, in the 83s, Russ doesn't always have to execute on meat day to win. He can go 5 for 9 and might very well win. That's not necessarily competitive. He's performing way below his standards and still beating people. I would say, even though the 74s get a ton of a spotlight, I would say the same thing about Atwood. If they want a chance to beat Atwood, he better not go 8 for 9. Or he better not go 9 for 9. If Atwood goes 9 for 9, it's over. It's done. It's They have no chance. Atwood's got to go like 6 for 9 or 5 for 9 in order for the other guys to have a puncher's chance of winning. In 105s, it's a toss-up between everyone. It could be – because going into the meet, I'm like, damn, this is going to be a close one. I'm like, I really can't pick it between Ash and Bryce. Didn't even know about Mikey D's existence. And then he gets second. Like I'm like, holy shit! I knew about Mikey. <laughs> yeah, and I and I'm and I was and I was pretty. Uh, I was still kind of green to USAPL. Like I was still, you know, learning all lifters, watching the competition, and I'm like, this guy is a freak. This guy's a beast. So it's and there's probably other guys I'm not even mentioning, but that's people are because because the initial argument was what's more stacked, 74s and 83s, and as an 83, I was offended. That we were even in the conversation. Like, just it shouldn't be in the conversation. It's even the 74s. And no one's really acknowledging the 105s. And I think that that, it, that was the most entertaining meet that I, uh, as far as the Nationals that I've watched. And, be, and it was due to it being so competitive. Yeah, it is competitive, man. And not even, like, all of the heaviest hitters weren't even at that meet. Like, um, Garrett Blevins didn't compete that year you know, last year and he's really good and he's probably going to come back this year with the vengeance. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's knocking on a 2000 total soon as well. Um, mm-hmm. Then there's Eli Burks. Eli Burks literally 
morphs into however strong he needs to be on a day to, you know, like to like win a meet or do really well. So yeah. I wouldn't be shocked if he, you know, can get close or is in that range now as well. And so it's just crazy. So I knew after all nationals, I just, that weight class is so competitive. I was like, I have to get like stronger. This baseline strength I have now is good. Like it's good enough. But if anything like happens in a meet, you know, then there goes the title. Mm-hmm. Like I could very, very easily lose and get knocked down a couple places. If, you know, I don't put in enough, like on my deadlift, like second attempt, yeah. which is usually the strategy I take. I'll usually put in like a pretty big second deadlift attempt. And that'll usually give me a very, very good edge. But we were a bit conservative in this meet for good reasons. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, when I missed the third deadlift, that really costed me like in the total and everything. Yeah. Um, and that happens. So, you know, I, I took it for what it was worth. Like I wasn't upset about it. It was an awesome meet. It was a lot of fun. But I just knew that my baseline strength had to get higher if I wanted to have a better chance at winning. So that's made it really exciting and fun for me to prep for this next nationals. Yeah. Absolutely, and like yeah, you you hit the nail right in the head there. There's so many variables you have to play with, and you actually have to play with them. And and in certain circumstances, in other weight classes, I mean, I would say the 83s are competitive two through five, yeah. but not one through five. You know what I mean? It's like you. I, I am curious, like, because I'm I'm obviously not backstage with that. Like, ask Taylor Atwood, like, what's your strategy going in for a meet? Because at the end of 2019, his total was 790, and I think the next guy was, uh, or yeah, 790 for IPF, and then I don't know who the second... I mean, I think it was uh, Perkins, right? Perkins probably had the second best total, and he's probably at 760? So... I think at the time, yeah. Yeah, I, I think just comparing their two best totals, and it's, you know, their best totals, the day that they performed at the highest. And it's not really close when you really look at it in that way. But, yeah, I've... That's... That's something that I think a lot of uh, our listeners are going to enjoy too, because powerlifting is all about those contentious debates that you really can't prove. But I think 105s are about to get the spotlight they deserve. I think so too. Um, now I will say with the 74s that a lot of those, you know, those young blood lifters, they're getting good and they're getting really strong. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, you know, things will get more interesting in that weight class and that, that gap that we were just talking about from like 790 to 730, I think that gap is going to significantly shorten. If not, someone may even very well have, you know, the potential to overtake, you know, Taylor, but I don't really know. Um, I just want to kind of watch and see how it unfolds. But even, even with that said, it's still not the same with 105 as, because I think 74s, I think, Last year, even like they weren't there yet, but they're on their way there. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Whereas yeah. with the 105s, we're already there and we're in it. Yep. We're still in it. And I think we're going to be in it for the next like several years. So, so for me, yeah, 105s are already sort of there and 74s are trying to get there. Well, what, we, what you got to do is go on a panel, uh, comment some snarky things on each other's Instagram videos, and then boom, you're gonna be right there as far as like the plat the platform goes, man. And the, and the uh, the spotlight's gonna be on you. That's all you gotta do. Just go go on King of Lives has like a four person like run a four person rendezvous roundtable discussion, and just uh, mildly shit talk each other. And you'll, you'll oh, oh shoot, shoot shots at each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's I mean that's. Because I, I wasn't really aware of the whole 74 race until Raw Nationals because of social media, really. Like, that was yeah. the reason why I was bought onto it. I obviously knew of Atwood and C. I found out through, actually, Perkins, too. I followed Perkins pretty early because 
that dude's that dude's a beast. He and he's you could wa- you could learn a lot just by watching that guy lift. Um, but show was because of his mouth, and that's how I got onto his page. And like, okay, good lifter. So then it's top four Ricky. guys. Yeah, R- Ricky's one of the uh, the favorites of Two White Lights. Been on the show twice, and he holds the record right now for most listened to episode. So, yeah. I can I can see why. Yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's always he's always a good time to have on the show, but well, uh, fun. yeah. All right. Also, always want to ask you this question. Um, yeah. As little of you may know, uh, me and Ash are in a group chat, uh, the strongest group chat in powerlifting right now. Uh, you know, we got <laughs> we got zero time world champion Danny. We got a Canadian guy named Luke. Uh, we got Jojo Weasel, all these big name powerlifters. Everyone's strong in the chat aside from Gage Carry On. But that's the first time I actually talked to you, was in a group chat. And yep. I'm like, holy shit, Ash is really intelligent. And have a different mindset when it comes to just almost everything. But considering this is a powerlifting podcast, I want to ask you this. What's your mindset when it comes to just your day to day training? What's what's going through your mind and then how does that differ with your actual competition day. Awesome. Okay. So, um, so to understand the way that I think about training, it's pretty important to understand how my training is sort of structured. And as, as you may have noticed, as a lot of other people may notice, um, a lot of my very intense, like, you know, just backbreaking kind of days are, are Saturday. Um, one day a week where I do like those, you know, what other people call crazy, you know, heavy lifts or whatever, or, and what I just call progress, you know, um, on that, that, that day, the focus is, is the same in some ways yet different than other days. So when you look at Monday through Wednesday, Thursday, the days that I'll typically train outside of that really high intensity day, in my mind, all of those days, even if they're not as crazy as that Saturday, which they usually aren't, um, it's a lot more focused on kind of different things. Each day has its purpose. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, if I'm, you know, squatting, let's say Tuesday, and I'm just squatting 315, and I'm like beltless and sleeveless or whatever, just high barring, you know, just squatting 315, right? Um, and I can squat 700 on the weekend. But for me, you know, in my mind, like, this day is still really important. I'm still doing something. This day has a purpose and a goal, you know, take it seriously. And that's how I approach every day. Mm-hmm. So that day where I'm squatting 315, I take seriously, you know, and I'll also take that Saturday seriously. Now the approach is just a little bit different. I'm going to bring more sort of, you know, intensity, more heat to that Saturday than that, that Tuesday, because I don't have to, you know, just get myself in such an aroused physiological state Monday through Thursday, like I have to do for Saturday. So Monday through Thursday, it's more of a really sort of, um, a therapeutic sort of healing um sort of training week if you may before that that saturday um and so that's how i kind of approach monday through thursday now saturday usually i know friday i like to eat some pretty big meals and i like to eat you know pretty big in the evening but not too late in the evening because that saturday every saturday i literally fast and in my mind i I say to myself you know no food only you know fluids and liquids like this is a meat Mm-hmm. every saturday is you know a meet mm-hmm. in my mind at least minus like maybe the deloads but even those i still kind of treat like a meet i'm just a little more relaxed 
but I'm like, this isn't me. So, you know, like, like the weights that I'm doing, these are attempts. Yeah. Because it's usually, it's usually singles. So it's usually very highly specific. Lately, I've been doing more reps just to try to stimulate a little bit of, you know, growth, but, um, and, and to develop a new strength base for that 105 weight class. But otherwise I'm like, this isn't me. So I treat every Saturday, literally like it's like, I treat like a meat, basically mm-hmm. I I'm hyper-focused, you know, super vigilant. Um, I don't like usually talk as much until, you know, I mean, I don't really talk a whole lot in training in general, but like, I'll like kind of, you know, ease up a little bit after like the big squat. And then once big deadlift hits again, you know, everyone knows, like, I'm just like quiet, you know, I'm like, you know, like I, I get like amped, like angry, mm-hmm. aggressive, you know, stuff like that. Like for me, that works for deadlift. Like it doesn't work for everybody, but for me, it works. So, you know, I use what works. Um, but, you know, I, I treat it, yeah, like pretty much like a meet, man, like Saturdays. Yeah, that's in- yeah, that's really interesting because I don't think I don't I don't think a lot of people have the energy, like the mental energy, to really do that, to put yourself out there and get that focus for a meet. Now, I get I guess I'm a little opposite because if the meets I perform the best at is when I'm kind of loose, it's like where I'm you know just comfortable in my surroundings. But and like it, it reminds me because um, I listen to a Michael Jordan's trainer. Uh, on a podcast and he talked about you know what's it like to have the clutch gene and he's like it's not something that you're born with you can't practice that it's like do you know how many times michael jordan hit that game-winning shot in practice he did a lot he, he did it every single day that's why when it got to game day he was able to perform it wasn't exactly him being clutch it was him just doing his the thing that he's used to do he always does yeah and if you treat you know your your uh, training like a meet, then I th- that would have that carry over into a platform as well, because yeah, that, that that does happen with with me as well. It's it is there's certain days where it's you, you got to be serious, you got to you know put all your energy onto your lifts. Uh, you can't get around because I don't know exactly how your gym is set up, but my gym there can definitely be a level of just talking and socializing, and. Yeah. You know that could that could that could mess with some people. It usually doesn't with me, but you know I sometimes able to like keep myself away from it. But it's pretty much just a lot of the same mindset that goes into effective training days, and that's and that's what people again don't understand sometimes is this sport is different because ninety nine percent of the sport is done in the gym. You know, like the you know you're not playing every other day like you are in baseball. You're not playing like once a week like football. You know, every three days like basketball, you're doing it three or four times a year on average, like an average lifter, probably three, four. All of it's going to be done in the gym. The sport is going to be done while you're not competing. So those, that's why those training days should be taken with the utmost seriousness. Yeah, they're really important. Like I, you know, um, some people are like, yeah, you know, it's training or whatever, but like, you know, meets is where everything matters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I understand where they come from with that sentiment because, you know, like performance and like what you actually do, you know, that's at the end of the day, like what makes you powerful. But at the same point in time, you know, I've always sort of held the belief that no, like training is really important too. And specifically for the reason that you brought up, you know, um, even, you know, like sort of, I think of it this way. So even like sort of like as, you know, like a psychologist in training, I think about, this is an analogy I'll draw. I'll think about, you know, 
um, training in, you know, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. And, you know, if you're talking to a patient, you know, you only see them once a week for one hour. And if there's 168 hours in the week and you're only seeing them for one hour, that means they have 167 hours where, you know, the patient's linked to their devices. Mm-hmm. If they're, you know, on an outpatient basis, it's like, so that one hour really matters, you know, but at the same time, those other 167 hours outside of the therapy setting matter too. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing, you know, in powerlifting or training, like that moment at the meet really matters and how you perform, you know, like it like matters and you can track progress really well that way. But also what you do all outside of that also really matters and is going to, you know, affect what each, you know, meet or each, you know, in psychology, each session looks like. So um, I, I think that for me, you know, I've always took training very seriously and it's always been very important to me because of that exact reason. I mean, everything that you do outside of that meet, everything that you do that nobody else will ever see, like it all, it all matters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's always, in other sports, there's always that it's like, oh, he's out, he's a gamer. Like when game time comes on, that's when he performs the best, not during practice, but during games. And like, okay, some other sports kind of have that luxury of turning on during game time. But those other sports where you're only doing game time four or five times a year, I think another one would be like boxing or mixed martial arts where you're only really allowed to fight five times a year. If you fight more than that, you know, you're going to get serious injuries. But they can't take days off in training. They just really can't. They have to treat every day like it's the most important day. And then, you know, that will all accumulate into your actual competition because don't have the luxury of having another game to because you go over five in baseball you know it happens it's always it, there's so many games it's going to happen but then you know you go three for five the next game no one remembers over five people remember the three for five so and yeah, the negative performance that, that happens a lot powerlifting too i think you know even when like tracking progress even when i like adopt this new training style that i have you know um about it like a little bit like a year and a half or so ago um when I adopted this new training style, I noticed that my performance in meets like began to like become like pretty, pretty solid, like cluster. Like even like I hit, you know, like my peak total at power fest that meet in uh, July, it was a local meet and, you know, um, definitely had more in the tank that day. I think that day is a day where like kind of the stars like kind of aligned and I was just like on. Mm-hmm. So like that like performance was kind of an outlier performance, I think, partially because of that. But every other performance after, you know, it was like 1940 to like 1960-70. That was like three three other meets, I think. And so like I was able to perform very consistently, you know, between like getting seven and nine attempts out of eight or nine attempts. Yeah. And so I noticed that this training style that I've adopted where I have a meet, you know, every weekend has really helped me to perform well on meet day as well. It's for me, it's translated very well. Yeah, for sure. And the, again, that mindset is always going to be good. And then, I mean, that makes you the strongest guy. That mindset makes you the strongest guy in our group chat, which is hard to do. Because you, you got Jesus and Nazareth in there. You got, you know, Miguel in there. You got Aubrey Graham in there. You got a ton of guys. I mean, a lot of reputable names. You got a French girl. You got a teenage breed. Yeah, just some, <laughs> some, some French girl, too, is just in there. You got scene. You got scene uh, uh, in there, too. So, I mean, a lot of yeah. high, rep, reputable Heavy names. Heavy hitters. Heavy hitters. I had some gauge carry on back. But, 
I, I, I always like asking this to, uh, to our guests because powerlifting is ever-changing. We're, we're still in the early stages of powerlifting. So a lot of change is going to happen. What is one thing you like to see change in powerlifting? And this could be anything. It doesn't need to be a rule. It could just be how lifters behave, how lifters lift, how lifters act. So what, what would you change about the sport? And this could be, like, across federations, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. It's okay. just broad. This is the broadest question I'm going to ask. Oh, yeah, that's a good question. I think what would make powerlifting better in the future and make it seem outwardly more legitimate is if we really consolidated the efforts of a lot of powerlifting. Rather than having all of these, like, you know, different federations with different rules and different regulations where things get confusing and, you know, the the – the, you know, lay person looks at powerlifting and they're like, oh, but I saw him break a record here, but it doesn't mm-hmm. count here. And, you know, that's a deadlift bar and that's a stiff bar and that they have 24 hour weigh-ins and they weigh in two hours before. Like if we could, you know, really sort of begin to make an effort to consolidate a lot of the efforts of powerlifting into like maybe two or three, you know, main or primary federations and just leave it at that, you know, maybe one that's completely drug tested and one that's untested, you know. Um, I think, you know, that that would sort of take things, I think, in a better direction. Yeah. It's just kind of like my overarching opinion of powerlifting. I think that really consolidating and unifying the sport in a better way would be great. Now, I, I realize that that's kind of like wishful thinking because, you know, people at the end of the day would be people and people like to not get along for some reason. Yeah. And um, especially when it comes to sports. So it's it's very difficult, especially in the early stages of powerlifting, to try to, like, unify things. But, you know, if I had a magic wand and I could wave it across, it'd be one federation, two max, you know, and things, efforts would be consolidated. Everyone would be there, yeah. you know. And then you could really and – and I would like that so much more, too, because all of the talent pool would have no choice to, like, go anywhere else. Everybody would be under the same roof. You know, there wouldn't be, oh, I wonder if this person in this federation competed with this person in this federation, uh-huh. you know, crap. Like, everybody would just be together, and you would really begin to see who really is, like, truly, you know, the best. Yeah, and I think if we put it to a poll, that might be the number one thing powerlifters would say. Just too many federations and not enough unification. And what I will say about, you know, USAPL is, as far as drug-free lifting, they've done a good t- job of, like, Making it known that okay, if you're a drug free lifter, you lift in this. Fed. Like this is this is what you do. You don't you don't go in a whole I lot agree. of other feds. So I think they've done a good job of that. But I, I think Chris Bridgeford uh, said a very similar thing when he was on the podcast. Was just make it one drug free uh, federation and one non tested federation, and then have your world affiliates on top of that because that's how like. That's just how it needs to work. That's just how it has to be like an all-encompassing thing. Like you would have to do – like IPF would just have to count as inter- international or have like a European thing or you could do a continental. That would be a, probably uh, a better uh, unification as well. But because I think once you start getting into, you know, combining all in one federation, it's like, okay, well, now so many lifters are on drugs that that is the reason why there is a separation between the two. There's a reason why yeah. they b- try to ban performance-enhancing drugs from sports. And that's, I mean, that's why they do it. So they don't have an uneven competitive field. And then when there's a large population of sport on drugs, that's where you're going to get a hard unification. But if you make just a, you know, fuck it. It's already here. 
Might as well just embrace it. Have the USPA be the the one non-tested federation. Um, the only issue is divisions, though. Those single multi raw with wraps and multi, like that's gonna that to me is gonna hold like any unification back. Just the amount of different like if you're multiply. That's true. If you're multiply, where do you compete? Do you yeah, compete in the USPA? Like it like they're not the federation that did the the multiply stuff. APF does that. Like that's where like that's where they get all the equipment and all that. And you need special equipment for those guys. But It'd be easier for just raw and single ply lifters because single ply, yeah. Uh, no. uh, raw with wraps, single ply, and raw guys. It'd be easy for that. Multi multi ply. F- yeah, and you know, I and I and I agree. You know, like I mean, you know, to to you know, in their own respect, you know, like multi ply lifters, I imagine have to undergo like a lot of you know, like stress. Um, and a lot of difficulties, even in training and performing in weeks meets, just because of the, the variability of how you know successful or effective they may be in their equipment, like on a particular day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, personally, I've never really, I've never been like a huge fan of multiply, but you know, I see a bunch of guys, you know, lifting heavy, working hard. So at the end of the day, you know, hey. But yeah, I agree. I think that would be the one sort of limiting factor in that whole plan. Um, uh, aside from people just not getting along, like if everyone could get along, then like I think that that would be one big issue that would um, hold things back. And to be honest, like I think multiply, a lot of it is largely or largely seems to be untested anyway. Yeah. So I would probably honestly just put it in the untested federation. Oh yeah, like that 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 part like you put them in the untested federation, but it's like you have to be equipped to handle them because do you need you need a monolift. You need that. Like, that's something you do need. You need... I know at WPO meets, they use a certain type of weight in order to... They don't use the calibrated, you know, kilo... I mean, they're calibrated, but they don't use the regular Rogue and Alico kilo plates. They use something else. It's like that... that People don't understand how much equipment goes in, like, a factor in, like, a meat director's day-to-day operations. But, yeah, if you have to find out how to get a good monolift, that's that's gonna cause some problems for other lifters. Equipment makes a difference. Yeah. So, like, you know, I mean, this can go down to something as simple as, like, a barbell. You yeah. Know? Like, there there are, like, you know, small, like, differences, you know, on paper between, like, a Texas power bar and an Ohio bar and in, like, a Lico, right? Yeah. But those small differences, like, you know, especially, like, multi, a sport like multiply, like, once you're lifting, like, such massive loads of weight, you know, like, well, I squat 700 on a Texas power bar and I squat 700 on an Ohio power bar. I feel a difference. Like there is a difference, like a very noticeable difference. And, you know, um, and multiply, I can imagine if you're lifting just a ton of weight and you have like, you know, a subpar barbell and you don't have a model and you have to walk it out. Like yeah. that's dangerous. Yeah. Um, very dangerous. And um, with that said, there was one other thing I wanted to say on, kind of on this topic, just to shift gears a little bit. Um, so, like, I know that there's some databases, you know, where they post, you know, all the powerlifters and all the rankings, regardless of federation and everything else. Yeah. And I think it's cool to look at because, like, you know, you kind of see, like, oh, so this is how this person would stack it up here or there or whatever. I think it's cool. The only criticism that I have for stuff like that in particular, this kind of, this will kind of play into the whole, you know, consolidating powerlifting efforts is, like, there's just so much variability in the, the procedures of like meets. So like, for instance, you know, I'm like, you know, like if you're looking at like the top 10, you know, 220 weight class guys in the world, 
one, I was like competing in like 205 or the 231 weight class. And like, I was not near 220. Two, if you look at it, funk, which is not a big deal, but the bigger deal I think there is like, I have two hour weigh-ins. This other person can weigh in a whole day before, yeah. you know, stick an IV in them and then compete like 10, 15 pounds over the weight class. They're actually competing on that day. Yeah. And to me, that's like, I don't know. Like, is like, is that person really, uh, you know, like a 198 or a 220 or a 181? Like, in my like humble opinion, like, no. Yeah. But you know, 24 hour weigh-ins, and they weigh in 24 hours before they make the weight. Then you know they are within the rules of their federation. So, so that that's you know, that's fair, understandable. I guess it's like their rules. But I don't know. I just don't like to see so much variability like in the rules across federations too, because that just really sort of for me skews kind of like the data when you're really trying to compare lifters and see who's really the best because you're just not comparing people who have similar you know um you know sort of playing fields Mm -hmm. and i'm not even talking about like enhancement or you know performance enhancing drugs right now i'm strictly talking about like just the rules oh yeah which to me like is kind of mind-blowing oh yeah for sure and that i mean that's why Again, they, I always said with the USAPL on this because they have the, you know, if you if you know you're, someone's competing at the 83 kg weight class, you know, they're getting same-day weigh-ins because we have that specific weight weight class. And a specific weight class is for the IPF and USAPL. But, and I, and, but there are federations who are drug-free because USPA has a drug-free division. They do. And they have 24-hour weigh-ins, and that is a big pull on how people go into the USPA. It's like, okay, 24-hour weigh-ins, and yes, that is a huge variable when you're talking about a 181-pound lifter and a other 181-pound lifter from the USAPL. Like, uh, I always found it funny, even though he's my favorite lifter in the sport right now, John Hack. He's awesome. I love him. But when Welcome people to, are, yes. yeah, yes. when people told tell, told me they're like, man, can you be a hundred eighty one pound guy is moving two k now? I'm like, I really can't because I know that John Hack is not one hundred eighty one pounds. He's huge. He's a big, big dude. Um, he cuts down to one eighty one for around like fifteen seconds, and then he gets up to like one hundred ninety, one hundred ninety three pounds. I'm like, guys, he's not one hundred eighty one pounds. Like that's not really how it works. Um, don't get me wrong, absolutely, like, just an absolute beast of a lifter, but, like, man, I can't believe these little guys are moving that way, I'm like, if you guys look at John Hack, you won't call him little, I'll tell you that right now, he's a big cat. Yeah, 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 I, and, I, and, like, I kind of, you know, like, similarly, you know, align myself, like, with that sentiment, it's like, you know, if you weigh, like, 10, 15 pounds over the weight class on the day that you're competing, like, are you really in that weight class? Yeah. And, you know, even in like hack's case, like regardless, you know, 190, 195 pounds still moving, you know, 2k. That's oh, yeah, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, he's, he's like, yeah, the, the, I mean, I'm using him cause everyone's going to know who I'm talking about. And hack is different because he competes in a specific federation and he's a not in the non-tested fed. So he's yeah. not like, you know, feeding the system or anything. He's doing what oh, yeah. he happens in that rules. federation. Yeah. Um, and he's a two-way class world record holder. I mean, this another one of those unicorns <laughs> in powerlifting. You don't get yeah. a whole lot of those. So yeah, there's one of those very rare types of like lifters. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, but no, like, but the point, like, the main point though, it still stands. Though I agree. Like, yeah, like 181, maybe not. You know, um, 
but followed the rules and, you know, played within the rules and like it worked out that way. But I just think that if we're going to move towards unifying powerlifting and everything else one day, if, if we do, we may not, but if we do, um, then I think that's one thing that's like, you know, kind of an elephant in the room that like should be addressed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I guess right now, but I will say it's contained right now because the people who do the massive weight cuts are in the non-tested federation. So there's already a distinction between the two. It's like, they're not playing with the same set of cards that we are and vice versa, you know? So I think right now is a balance, but there could be a change because there could be, you know, a badass drug free lifter that comes around and competes in USPA drug tested and then is able to cut 30 to 40 or I mean, what Mariana cut like 20 or 25 pounds or 30 pounds when she competed against Steffi at the U S open, like insane amount of weight and they could come around and completely skew the balance of who's a top lifter in this division based on a completely different set of rules. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. And that was kind of my main thing. Like, I'm glad that, you know, like USAPL IPF sort of does like the two hour weigh-in thing and whoever you're competing with there, you have like that similar standard. Um, I guess I'm more so just referring to just like comparing across in general, the spectrum. Like if you wanted to compare USPA drug tested, you know, lifters with, USAPL drug testing lifters, you know, like it's still like they they still, you know, they have a deadlift bar, a squat bar, and 24 hour weigh It's like there's still like some sort of, mm-hmm. you know, competitive advantages that may help people lift more weight. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, I, I think if that if I could change one thing, like that would be like the main thing. The second thing would be deadlifting with shirt with no shirt again because I love deadlifting shirtless. Um, well, obviously you was, do. That's, that's, that would be an obvious part. It's pretty epic. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is, you guys, this is an audio only podcast, but if you guys don't know by now, Ash and Roscoe's checked. So, uh, deadlifting, (laughs) deadlifting without a shirt under the singlet is obviously more aesthetically pleasing to the crowd than anything else. Yeah. Deadlifting with a t-shirt's kind of, I never deadlift in t-shirts except anime. I, this is, I, I ranted about this so much when they made the rule i'm like i mean me i don't care that much i mean i don't care at all really but i'm like wait why can you guys explain to me why because that's the problem with some of these rules is they don't explain to me why they do things like why can't you deadlift without a shirt professionalism that's the only thing i can think of You, you don't look as professional while there's females literally pissing on your platform while the meat is going on they have no choice. They're not doing it intentionally, but it happens. I think we could allow the shirt thing to come off. It's not that unsanitary when you really think about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, um, I guess with, with deadlifting shirtless, I guess I don't really see what 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 the issue was. I mean, maybe, maybe we're biased because we're both, you know, male competitors deadlifting shirtless or whatever in the past. And, you know, maybe... There was some issues with like representation with females being able to do that the same way, but that's that's what I speculate. I'm not really exactly sure po- the exact reason either. Yeah, po- possibly, but also like I think that'll make their job easier, wouldn't it? Like as far as lockout goes, like if my my delts have to be past my hips, so if you see actually without a shirt on, what if I wear like a baggy shirt, and I just you can't really see where my delts are. Like, if oh, you you're have, talking about yeah, lockout. Yeah, yeah. Let's... If you have no shirt on, you could see everything. You could see everything pretty clearly when you're locking out. If you have if you have soft shoulders, you could maybe if you have a, I don't know. I'm just speaking, you know, out of complete hypotheticals. But 
I just thought their job would be so much easier if we didn't have shirts on during deadlift. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean that that seems like a a reasonable uh, reasonable argument to me. Yeah, this is the, this is the second time bringing up this episode, so this is some serious issues we got to discuss on, on yeah, in the world of powerlifting is shirtless deadlifts. Because I forgot about that, so I just bought it up again. How like ridiculous that was. Yeah, I, I was kind of shocked when I came out too. I, I didn't really know what to, I guess, think. I was like, it's kind of weird. I don't. Deadlifting was like in t-shirts for like me personally, like with my build, like is usually uncomfortable, but okay. And that was the year where they kind of, that was the year where they kind of were trying to push through a bunch of rules that were weird, didn't make a whole lot of sense, not a lot of them passed. It was the, it was the flat, it was the, as flat as possible. The flat bench rule, yeah. Yeah, that was the same year, so (laughs) it's like one of those political things, like, okay, we're going to make a referendum, we're going to put a bunch of really really stupid laws at the top so we can pass this dumb law at the bottom this one's going to get striked out because competitors are going to be like you can't regulate this but then this one at the bottom they're like we forgot about that one just based on like how to how these two other laws were really stupid so it does just one flew under the radar and they got it past us so um I guess it seemed less ridiculous than the other ones. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it, it did, really, which is hilarious. Like, again, like, you guys don't need to pass rules. You can just, like, let things be sometimes. Just let powerlifting happen. Because, yeah, the, the flat yeah. bench one was, like, all right, well, you're going to change how a lot of people do the sport. Then how do you regulate a flat flat back bench? Is it lower back yeah, on the thing the judge, like yeah like do they go up do they have like a tape measure like do they measure like well, what what would that even look like I, I don't know yeah then like they said no feet like a uh, rule that you couldn't put your feet up on the bench uh, at, while you're setting up so if you put your feet up to get that arch like they were going to strike that it's like wait how are you gonna how, how are you gonna so that means they have your lower back has to be completely flat i don't know but i don't think that was ever going to pass in the first place i think they just did that just to put something out there yeah I, I think that was kind of like placeholder stuff I, I didn't think anyone expected that to actually go through and be or maybe they did i mean <laughs> i don't know you never know but i probably not yeah absolutely all right so we play a game on two white lights word association i'm assuming you know how word association works i yeah. i say a word you say a word back we keep a powerlifting related and then sometimes we get a little bit further than that all right so very first one, we're going to start e- easy. Squat. Bench. How about bench, then? Seat. Seat? What do you mean for that? Bench seat. Oh, okay. All right. Do you prefer the fat pad or the ER rack? Mm, that's hard. I don't like the ER rack just because the bench is, like, really slippery. Yeah. And they use it in meats a lot. It's it's. I don't like using it. Um, the fat pad, pretty cool if you have, like, a pec injury or a shoulder injury. Otherwise, I didn't get too much out of it. Um I've always liked Texas bench seats, but that's just me personally. Yeah. We, uh, I assumed that they were going to use that fat pad for every single meet after they used it at the Arnold that one year, and they just used it once. And so many gyms went out to purchase that fat pad because they wanted to please their USAPL clients, and they haven't used a fat pad since. They've only been using ERX. I'm very disappointed about that. Deadlift. All right. Erectors. Erectors. Okay, that makes sense. Any any erector problems for you? 
Uh, fortunately, no. Okay. I'm good. Good to go. Got really strong erectors. Nice. Nice. Very good. All right. USAPL. Drug free. Drug tested. Yeah. Yeah. Drug free was first I came to mind, technically. Yeah. No. Drug free works. Those are combined things. You don't need. You don't need. I am not stingy on the rules of this word association. It could be a phrase if you want. But yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm looking at my, like, USAPL, like, stuff right now, and they put drug free on pretty much everything. Drug tested federation. America's largest drug tested federation. Yeah. Uh, Natty is the usual word that is bought up when we play this word associated with the USAPL. USPA. Untested. Yeah, not Natty. <laughs> I think a deadlift bar. <laughs> yeah, DL bar. Deadlift bar, yeah. Yeah. I think of whip, I think of the deadlift bar, and I think of tattoos. That's what I think of the USPA. Yeah. USPA thing- meets are actually really fun. I've like, been to a couple of them in the past. They're pretty fun. Dude, I have such the ones a good- I went to at least. Yeah, I have good times at every meet, though, man. Because I always say this, because when people like are trying to gauge the fun of meets or the atmosphere of meet. I'm like, dude, if you have four of my friends in a room, it's a fun time. Just four of them. Like, let alone just a bunch of powerlifters. It's always going to be a good time. When they yeah. say, like, this state sucks. Like, going to this state sucks. I'm like, if I bring four of my friends, the state doesn't suck anymore. I'm just having a fun time in a different state. Yeah, just sucks less. Yeah. yeah. You're having fun. You're buddies. Yeah. <laughs> went, to, went to, you know, meets in, like, fucking church basements Went to meets in hotels. If I have all my friends with me, they're all really, really fun to go to. It's usually fun, yeah. Like, I like, did a meet in, like, Spokane, Washington. Yeah. But I, I had buddies there, and it was, like, a, a ton of fun. Yeah, I and I always bring up the Lombard thing, because I'm from Woodridge, which is, like, 15 minutes away from Lombard. Mm-hmm. When they said they announced, like, USAPL is going to be in Lombard, I'm like, well, that's just a really boring suburb in Illinois. Like, that's all it is. But everyone told me, like, oh, I had a blast. I'm like, yeah, because you traveled with your friends to a hotel to a different state. It's always going to be fun if you do that. Yeah, I agree. Texas. Best state. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that shit. <laughs> I, have, I have, obviously, being in the USAPL, I have interactions with a lot of Texans now. Like, 100% more than I used to. And yeah. I knew... Oh, well, I didn't know how strongly they felt about Texas until I started talking to them. Because you're even wearing your uh, UTSA shirt yeah. right now. UTSA, my UTSA tank top, yeah. <laughs> I, in my opinion, best uh, best uh, powerlifting college in, yeah. in America in right nation, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, agree. I agree. Yeah, I know Midland really, makes their really strides, count. but I know a lot of people at, uh, it was at San Antonio? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. I know a lot of people down there now. I'm like, it's a bias that I'm going to say that they're the best, but it, uh, yeah, they are the best. Yeah, the the Texan pride is so. It's definitely biased for me too. Oh, yeah, obviously you, but because yeah. uh, I was I was like president of the powerlifting team last year there, so yeah. <laughs> well, we yeah, had, I mean, someone... if Austin Perkins comes on the show, I'm probably going to say Midland is the best. I'm a front runner. I just <laughs> I just got to do it. If if yeah. Perk comes on, I've said it before because. I actually, but that was a cool thing. I didn't know about it. I didn't know there was powerlifting colleges because, yeah. dude, they're, they have facilities just for powerlifting. And that's fucking awesome. Now, I will say that collegiate powerlifting has, especially during my time in college, has freaking taken off. It has exploded. Like, the first year, you know, it was like, 
it was like kind of chill. It was the first year they actually did raw competitions too. Mm-hmm. But that second year at, at San Antonio, and then the third year at A and M, and then the fourth year at um, in Ohio. Oh my god, those were some of the funniest meets. Like I think my senior year, the meet that I did in Ohio was probably the best run meet I've ever done in my life. That was the single best run meet I ever did. And yeah. it was so awesome. And it was epic. All the equipment was like awesome. You know, um, for me, the judging was also like consistent. Like mm-hmm. there weren't any issues. Um, and there were just a ton of people there, just a bunch of college, just kids all in one place, just causing trouble. It was fun. Yeah. Was fun. I, I was actually thinking, cause I didn't know there was a, you know, collegiate nationals when I started power. And I was never like, when I started US, USAPL lifting or in the Federation, I was 26. So obviously really far removed from college. But didn't really know it existed until I got into the USAPL and I talked to other competitors. And they told me how awesome it was because it's a different meet from Nationals. It's more of a team aspect. I'm like, oh, that's pretty sweet. And uh, my, my friend uh, Caleb, uh, who also uh, UTSA alum, he, uh, he told me, he's like, you should bring two white lights down and just do uh you know interview people who run the meets and just interview some of the coaches and that kind of stuff it was like that would be a really good idea and sure? i was because it was in penn state this year not too bad of a drive for me then you know okay and it was during spring break because i'm a teacher during spring break for me it was a perfect opportunity to go down it's and perfect. then boom COVID 19 yeah, <laughs> COVID 19 canceled man. everything yeah it's a bummer yeah collegiate man collegiate nationals i loved I technically still have one year of eligibility. I think this year, though, my first year of grad school, I think this was the last year I could have competed. Mm-hmm. I, I still don't meet the age cutoff yet, though. I, I'm going to check if I can do it next year just because I, like, enjoyed it so much. Um, I actually had more fun at Collegiate Nationals last year than I did at regular Raw Nationals. Oh, um, yeah. I, I can could, I could imagine that being the case. Just fun. The fun aspect. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that. Not the competitive aspect so much, but, like, the fun aspect. It was really fun. Yeah, because Ben Poor told me the same thing. So did uh, Shane Nutt when he told me about Collegiate Nationals. I just was kind of surprised. Yeah, Frat Nats. (laughs) Frat Nats. The only taste of the Collegiate Nationals I got, though, when I did Two White Lights, was the terrible spotting videos, which I thought was not completely unfair, but it's hard. I don't know, man. It's hard to get spotters just in a different random area. You know what I mean? Like. I thought it was difficult. Yeah, it was. I mean, when I saw the spot, I'm like, oh, I'm not a spotter. I definitely know you don't spot that way. But that was one year was the only thing that was the footage that I saw from Frat Nats was, you know, like the spotting. Yeah. It's a terrible spotting. And I was, I felt bad and long yeah. run. So. It really depends on the sessions, too, because that meet was like a huge meet. And I know that I even spotted the day after I competed. Yeah. Um, and we, well, the platform I was spotting on, we, yeah, there was no hiccups. We did awesome. But, like, yeah, there were some videos that I saw that but, I just kind of cringed and shook my head. Yeah, but that was – that's a thing, though, where people, like – because a lot of it was from other lifters on the USAPL. So very similar to Raw Nationals where people were sending me videos trashing the USAPL, their spotters. Like, do you guys realize there's five platforms? So s- platforms are going to vary based on who's – taking the who's on, each uh, one, yeah, who's yeah. on each one i'm like my platform is awesome we had we had the utsa crew on it so oh yeah they're the they're the fastest they're the best yeah and then well i they uh i don't know if this is a little but they asked me it's like what platform are you gonna be on i'm gonna be on platform two today it's like all right 
we're going to try to get on platform two with you. So that's, that's another reason why I like UTSA. That's why I have a bias right now for them. But I'm like, yeah, they're going to, and I saw some other videos. I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't spot that way. But uh, it, it happens with a massive meet like that. Uh, same thing yeah. with judging, really. Um, mm-hmm. Here's one. Yeah. America. Freedom. Yes. Freedom. You could say a lot of, I was going to say just beautiful. Like yeah. America, then the beautiful. Yeah. Just, it's every it's beautiful, freedom, liberty. It lot, all works. Yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot works with that one. All right, how about music? Metal. Metal is that your genre? Yeah. Well, I have a lot. I mean, I like most genres to be honest. Like, I love you know. You you supply fashion classic EDM. I love all of it, dude. Yeah, um, you you supply the group chat. You supply the group chat with the tunes. <laughs> Yeah, the music, yeah. But I do love metal. Like, when I lift, like, really high intensity, like, deadlifts and, like, squat, like, metals is pretty awesome. And then I'll do, like, classic rock for bench. And then, depending on, like, the, the vibe, some days, like, if, if I'm not in a metal, you know, mood, then I'll do I'll do other music choices, a lot of other music choices, too. A lot of people have asked me to make Spotify, like, playlists. I'm thinking about making one one day. Yeah, they've told me to do that, too. Um, and it's so funny because I have people, because I'm, I'm very similar to you music tastes all over the place like and it obviously is going to reach a lot of people so i put on my 60s rock like psychedelic like hey dude make a yeah. playlist i listen to bachata like hey make a playlist i listen to cl- i'm like guys you realize that i'm not gonna make a playlist for every single genre of music there is I'm like i'm not doing it don't have the time yeah. it's almost impossible me. i've tried it it's almost impossible yeah i've i've always tried to like all right here's a hip-hop playlist here and then i just start then it gets to be a mess because then I start adding songs and I forget to add it in. But yeah. the easiest one was opera though. I could easily make an opera playlist. That's an easy one to find on your playlist because they're not titled. Yeah. You know, you it's know exactly a, who's in the opera class. Yeah. But yeah. All right. And you don't need to do one word for this. We'll finish it off on this one. Future. What is your future in this sport? What do you plan to do? Um, two goals. First one is a lifetime goal I've had since I was since I first like touched a barbell. So one thousand pound deadlift and break a twenty two to twenty three hundred total plus. So my two goals before ideally before thirty. Holy shit, man! I think once that a thousand deadlift that thousand pound deadlift falls. I think there's going to be like two or three people who are just going to break it immediately after. They're just going to come in right after you. Yeah. <laughs> I think because right now, because right now I, I don't think I would have said this a year ago, but Jamal, I think, I think is, I think he's on his way, but, but if that's the case, I would like to see someone in the USAPL do it. And if it's not you, I have no idea who it would be. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, this guy from Poland, that's pretty good. Who's that? And the, in the IPF? Yeah, Kristoff, I think. Is that Mr. Deadlift? Yes. Is he IPF? I know he does yeah. it with a stiff bar. Well, yeah, he, he does. I think he does multiple feds, yeah. but I think he's he's like uh, yeah, never he, had any issues with. Yeah, he he did pull with a, he did pull nine hundred with the stiff bar once. I saw that, and I don't think he had a belt on. It was a crazy lift. It was an uh, he's kind of not talked about as much um, because he doesn't have his PhD in 
deadlifts. He's Mr. Deadlift, not Dr. Deadlift. He's got yeah, go to go. He's got to go to deadlift medical school in order to get that. But no, yeah, I want a thousand pound deadlift. Uh, you know, no deadlift bar, stiff bar, no straps, conventional. That is like my lifetime goal. Yeah, that would be such an awesome thing to see. So, yeah, hopefully you can accomplish both of those goals. You're young. You got the whole world ahead of you. Thank you for coming on Two White Lights. You were, man, you've been requested on the show a lot. So finally got you on. Since we, <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, since since we since we started like the uh, the fan requested interviews, you were requested a whole ton. So um, thank you, Wreck-It Rouska. I'll probably talk to you later in the day in this ridiculous group chat that we're in. Yeah. Best group can <laughs> of powerlifting. And they're going to get pissed off because I probably missed a few names. And you know what, guys? I don't give a shit. I don't care. I don't care. You know what? Oh, well. Oh, well. You'll live. They'll, All right. They'll live, yeah. All right. We'll see you guys on Wednesday. We got Delaney Wallace coming on. Really excited for that one. Peace.